What's the Crack Podcast, proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote. Welcome back to part two of What's the Crack Podcast in proud association with JMR Property Maintenance and the Rialto Plaza. Still here with Rich. What a story it's been so far. I'm sat here straight away, mate, open mouth at the whole story. I can't believe it already. <laughs> and this is where it gets just fucking crazy, to be honest. Um, so you come out of the army, mate, and before we get, in, get into it massively, when you, when you come out, did you experiment with drugs before? Yeah, so the weird thing is, um, I guess that was another reason for, for leaving is, is um, around about 94, uh, maybe late 94, uh, cannabis was decriminalised in Germany. It's fine about that, I can't be exactly sure. So what you have is certainly going back for, for quite a few years before that, you're gonna you have these sort of little circles floating around within a unit, secret circles of guys using drugs. It wasn't anything major. I was only aware of people smoking a bit of pot and I, I used to have a little puff every now and again, but it wasn't I didn't smoke, you see, so I didn't really ever bother. It was didn't really I didn't know how to smoke. I looked like a fucking idiot for trying to smoke. So I just chose not to do that. So I was kind of dabbling a little bit. Now, when I came back off for Cyprus, um, I had this three weeks leave where, where I met this girl. And um, all my mates, so I was knocking around at the time, had just gone from smoking pot when I was on leave. Again, I wasn't that remote, that interested in it, to taking bass or speed. So they said to me, one lad said to me, he said, oh, do you want to try a bit? I said, well, what is this? Or speed. I said, and what 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 is it? So it's, it'll, you'll have a good night. So bear in mind, I've just done six it's months. Fucking in... leaf for that as well, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fucking good stuff. I said, just bomb it. So what do you mean? So wrap it up in a Rizzler and then just fucking neck it. So I did. All right, yeah, no worries. So I did that, and I just had six months in Cyprus, and I was feeling pretty good about myself anyway. I didn't realize that this stuff would make me talk for England. So, of course, we've got down to, to town and I'm just chatting and I've been chatting to these girls. And for once, because I'm normally quite shy, I'm sat there chatting to these girls and waffling away. And my brothers, my brothers and mates are all kind of in the same place. They're looking over and they're thinking, uh, what is going on with him? He, he must be off his tits. Because I, I didn't come up for air. And I didn't, I didn't realise it, it was the speed that was making me talk. But I'd never felt this sense of like euphoria before. I'd never, I'd never experienced that. So that kind of made me think, ooh, that's pretty fucking good stuff. So I was risk, I was running some high-level risks of while I was still serving on this year before I get out, of occasionally going back and have a little bit of this or a little what, bit. What, was there no drug testing? Yeah, well, CDT had just been brought in. It just just come in, in I think it was 94. So that's kind of like, I thought, well, I'm messing around with this. Yeah, it was kind of one of those other things where it's kind of thought, if you don't leave, Rich, or if you don't stop doing this going to get fucked yeah you're going to get booted out and lose everything and, and bear in mind i as i said before so i didn't like the german nightlife it wasn't for me but the english nightlife was doing drugs now the, the rave scene had kind of moved off of the fields and it was it was picking up in the clubs so the nightlife in 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 bristol in the uk was changing dramatically i think that's the hard thing i'm from commentary in the midlands uh, yeah. But the thing is, Bristol, even now, Bristol's it's still a good out to this day. So back back then, Bristol was always a decent out, but you can't get away from it, can you? No, no, that's it, mate. And, and that was the thing. I was, I was being shown this, 
but back in the early days in the early 90s late 80s it was it was just a good night out you know it was it was just okay but it's better than germany but now you take this thing that germany's still the same the german clubs you still got bottles being thrown at each other the squad is still fighting in the german bars but in in bristol people are having an amazing time they loved up i didn't know they're taking pills at the time but yeah I'm, I'm, they're taking speed they're taking bass they're taking a it's a whole different and i thought this is just a such this I thought this is my kind of night I like to have a night where I enjoy myself and relax and enjoy female company, good lads, people enjoying it. That's my night out. And, and that's what I sort of saw. So, yeah, I was kind of like sailing close to the wind a little bit when it came to sort of dabbling with things. Although I managed to keep it really minimal and to the point it's still a risk. Though. If I got tested, I'd have been positive. Hands down, I'd have been caught straight away. Lost everything. So, yeah. So I got out, yeah. And, and, and I think that was when the ID card was handed in and everything else. I'd already started dabbling with ecstasy. Now I was doing the door work for only about three months, not long because I was taking amphetamine on the nights. I was doing a door Thursday, Friday, Saturday, usually Friday and a Saturday. So I have a little bit on each night and then it was all right. I felt quite good about it and not condoning it, but that's how I felt at the time. It, it, it made sense for me. And then what I was doing is on, on the, the Saturday night, especially my mates would go out into town. They go to the club called Odyssey. And I would leave my door job, spend the license and hours, was, the pubs are still closed at 11. You know, the normal pub was shut. So I come off the door at 11 and I head for the club. Now I get straight in because I was just on the door. The, the guys on the door would let me through. Yeah, no worries, in you go. I see my mates and um, they're all fucking off their tits, aren't they? And I'm thinking, what, what does? We've had, we've had a pill. And I'm thinking, oh, but you like, you know, by now, my speed is like well worn off. Oh, so I was just feeling paranoid and anything else. just wasn't having any good time. <laughs> I said, All right, I said, do you want one? I said, well, I've never had one before. I said, well, I may as well, hadn't I? Let's give it a shot and see what it's all about. So he disappeared off for like about 10 minutes. He came back and he said, you can mate. And he said, what is this? It's a dirty dollar. And I said, what, what does that mean? He said, it's just, that's what it is. <laughs> so I looked at it, it's a little, little pill with a, a dollar on it. Stamped on it. Yeah, so it says it all, doesn't it? got it in, took it, and I, I didn't know, all I knew was that these things could kill you, <laughs> kind of like, it was hype, wasn't it, back in the mid-90s, it was like, yeah, but the excess is dangerous, it'll kill you, it, it, whether that be right or wrong, was it, it didn't matter at the time, I still did it, you know, so I kind of like necked this pill, and I think within about half an hour, 40 minutes, I couldn't believe what was going on. You know, uh, the, I know exactly. What you, I, I don't know if you remember this, but obviously I followed you on TikTok for a bit, and you put a video out. I don't know when this was, but you said in G- July 2019, your yeah. life got back together. Yeah. And that's when mine, mine fell apart for about a year then. And you 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 replied back, really? back to me saying, "Oh, I hope you're right, man." I thought, "Nice gear, what it is." So yeah. That, that's that's when I started kind of fucking sniffing, giving that a little bit. But before then, I was at a gig in 2000. I was born in '92, so I'm 29 now. But back in 2007, yeah. I had my first pill, and I thought, well, "I don't know what it is. Just give me one." Half an hour later, mate, I was on fucking on top of the world. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Oh, it was mental, wasn't it? Absolutely mental. Yeah. And then that's what I felt. First time I could hear the music booming, the, the DJ's voice, and, and and I could hear people talking. I couldn't, but I could hear voices across the room. I could hear everything. I could, my sense was so alert. And and I just, I thought, i got to dance. <laughs> like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's do it. I thought, yeah, come on, let's go. So we went down and we just, uh, just and that's when it, to me, it kind of made sense. I, I suddenly understood 
what what it was all about, what the hype was about. It, it kind of like, and, and I just sort of enjoyed that moment and didn't really think much more about it. I just, just sort of walked away and left it at that. And then I sort of stopped doing the door work. I got a bit fed up with it because I, I didn't want to be stood on the door when I could have been out partying. I thought, I didn't get out of the army to stand on a fucking door on the same night when I should be out and draw myself. He said, otherwise, I might as well be on stag with some fucking tool who can't hold a conversation. So yeah. what am I doing now? Why am I on the door? Why am I stagging on on the door? Why am I doing this? So I just sort of like said to the guy, I said to the stag, like, oh, sorry, guys, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not for me. It's not for me. I want to, I need to move on. I'm still doing surveillance. That was, that, that, that had, by the time I got into the summer or the back end of the summer, 95, I had a full-time job. So we'll say full-time four or five days a week, which is plenty. And I was happy with that. Plus, I still been paid with the army up until the end of August. Um, so I didn't really think about dealing. It wasn't really necessary because the money was coming in from every angle. It didn't, wasn't really a thought um, until we had a little click of five of us. I don't want to miss anyone out because there were five of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, five because my mate from London who got out with me did the bodyguard course. He would come down on the occasional weekend, but there were four of us mostly sometimes five now by then i've moved into a different house i've moved into a little flat for x forces it was perfect it was in a sense disastrous because it was like it was um two victorian houses converted into six flats for just x, x forces so i'll go back to that in a minute i had a top floor flat little penthouse it was lovely or i thought it was lovely and i was happy to just have a little dabble on the pill every Saturday with, with, with me mates at the time. And one of the lads in that circle would go and get our pills for us because he knew the guy, he knew the dealer, he knew the guy where to get them from. I didn't know the guy. Um, so he'd go off and he would get his, the, us our four pills for £10 each with a pair of tanner and we would have, we'd have a good night doing it. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd really enjoy it. And then we went like this for about a month or so and, and he, he said, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. And he said, do you want to get them, Rich? I said, well, I don't mind, yeah. So what's, what's the situation? We give me the guy's number. I've met the guy, and we, he he come he, he came comes out. I mean, we're good friends. We still are. You know, he, he's done his time. He's moved on. So he, I'm not going to say his name, but he was you know he was instrumental in in my in my direction. If yeah. it had been someone else, you know, and it's not his fault, but it's, he was there, and and he was a good person to work because he was straight up. You know, so when it seen him in the middle of the day on a Saturday, went round to his house. I think his dog had just ate his budgie. <laughs> uh, he, he'd just come out of prison. He had, he, had a, he had a budgie called Porridge. And I'm pretty sure his dog had ate his budgie. If you ever watch this, he'll know. Confirm that if I did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I walked into Pandemonium. My fucking dog just ate me budgie. <laughs> so he said, I mean, do you want me? So I only need, like, whatever mate he was getting for. He said, well, look, I'm doing for you. You can have them for, like, eight quid each. He said, do you, want to, do you want to take five? You know, then, then you, or, you, or pay ten as you get five. You, you, you get them, you, you get you one for free. I went, I get a free one. I said, all right, okay. So I thought, all of a sudden, I suddenly saw the, um, the, 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 the potential to earn on it straight away. Well, where did that come from then, mate? Because obviously you come from, from an army background and then you're doing door work. So where does the businessman in you come from? That's a good question. I don't know. I, it, it, it never emerged until... That moment, I think, I don't think it ever emerged because I was just happy to be from from the age of like 16 when I left school. I just had 
random jobs. I'd never had a chance to really utilize that part of my brain because it was never needed. You know, even when I was in the army, I was paid salary. I think sometimes getting a salary can, can certainly for me, can make me lazy. Yeah. Because I start thinking about how I should make the money because I'm getting paid or I get paid doesn't matter. And that can make you, it can kill your dynamic and slow you down a little bit. So I think that came from being one self-employed with having to earn money through surveillance. And then I thought, well, okay, so I, I see. So I understand retail and, and trade and everything else. Well, okay, fair enough. So I suddenly thought, oh, all I saw was a free pill. I didn't see the fact that I thought, ah, oh, free pill. So I did that. And, and what I enjoyed was the, the level of risk. And although it was just five pills, I was like, where's the hide? Oh, I'll stick them in the seat, put them in my pocket. I was, I was planning this. It's five fucking pills. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're not under the eye. So I got them. I handed out to the boys, got the money, got the, got the tenors off them. And I thought, I've got that. I've paid the bill. And I still got one left for me, life. Well, that's amazing, you know. And so I got mine for free. So that night we had a standard night again. This went on for possibly a few weeks. But because we were regularly there, we started to be regular in this club every Saturday. I would be. I, mean, I think the majority of us would be there every Saturday without fail. We would go, we would have the same routine. Go to certain bars, and then because because I just loved it. I was getting getting back into this because all these years about when I was coming on leave and when I didn't really fit anymore with my civvy mates I never did fit with all my civvy mates and, and now I was becoming part of something again I was becoming beginning to fit again with this little circle of friends I was begin, becoming part of this this community again albeit on a, a, a different sort of way and um, the routine was building around us and, and what we found was a couple of times in the club someone would come out and say oh, mate you're, you're clearly off your tits where did you get your pill from? And think, You're on the please. So, well, you know, I sort them out myself. So, have you got any left? And, no, mate. So, can, can you get us one? So, no, I ain't got no left. So, I said, well, what about next week? Yeah, all right, we'll look at that. So, I thought, all right, okay. So, I spoke to me guy when I've got my next set. I said, mate, said, I'm getting asked for a few in the club. He said, well, do you want to take some more to take them on credit? So, I mean, so, I'll just take 10 and see how I got them with 10. I thought, oh, yeah, all right, give that a go. So, I got in the club, go, give me a mate there. Still paying £8 each, give me a mate there. Sold the others within probably you know, within an hour. The others are gone in this club, and, and I've, I've suddenly I've made another tenner on top. So I've got all my drinks paid for now, and you know yeah. not, but it's subsidising my night out. Yeah. So you basically you get out for free and get off your barnet. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's it. I got a free night out off my tits, and 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 I'm building this kind of like thing around me. Yeah, and and I'm enjoying it as well. I'm having a good time because I really did. Like, I love the buzz. I think from what you've said as well. Obviously, coming out of the army if at that time, you were part of something again because you were kind of missing that from the army. Yeah, that, exactly that. That's completely true. That that sense of belonging was kind of be, was being built around me now with, with all of the. Put me last. I'm going to get done. Just going to see me head and that'll be it. Um, so I was kind of building this this sense of um, belonging. Yeah, you know, I became part of something again. And I was creating this structure around me, you know, of all, with the, the, the army left such a massive void in my life. That's huge. A big old gap to fill that. Because it's, it's not just a job, it's everything. You know, it's everything. Well, it's, it's, it's your whole life since you're a kid, basically, 16, 18. Yeah, so. yeah it's, it's your whole lifestyle. And you, and you go through so much, like I said about basic training, you go through so much to become that soldier. When you come out of it, you just, like I say, you, you, you're at a loose end. So, yeah, I was building this around me. And what, what I found was the more people approaching me, the the more business I generated, it went for like 10 pills and it's 20 and then, then it's like a hundred and 
it was too many to sell in a club. I wasn't going to go and load it because I was always very military minded. All of I was still doing surveillance. I was still working that job as well. So my mind was working tens of a dozen. Now you're thinking counter surveillance, watching out cameras, looking for people. Now, always on the ball, you know. And and I wouldn't get off my tits and, until I'd sold all the pills. You know, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't allow myself to. When I got to the last pill left, I'd take mine. Then I'd sell that one. Then I knew that then I could relax and enjoy my night out. And so I was quite disciplined with it. So it got to a point where I. The most I'd take into a club would be maybe a hundred pills. I don't want most people goes in with like five hundred pills because that's just ridiculous. Because you're going to be carrying so much money around with you, you'd be you'd be, you'd be talking like bloody thousands of pounds in your pocket. It's 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 crazy. So um, I start arranging to meet people outside the clubs. Then let's meet them in the pubs before we go into the club. Let's meet them in the bars. Then I went from that. So well, let's let's not take them with me into town. Let's meet you during the day. If I've got them on a Friday or a Thursday, let me see you on a Friday. Let's sort it out now, and I'll see you on Monday, get your money off you. Oh, do you want, yeah, take five. So I started to chuck them out a bit more. So the business was building from this, these from these four or five pills. Well, at, at the time you were doing that, because obviously your dad was ex-police and, and you were doing surveillance, do you ever feel guilty? Yeah, because I had to lie a lot. I had to hide a lot, especially if I had a surveillance job on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday because I was fucking wrote off for three days after the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So me that for work, fucking tired and, and being able to function as a surveillance operative was really difficult, <laughs> really hard. And having to give a plausible reason why, why I was so tired all the time. You know, I just I was drinking. You know, I was on the piss. I was on the piss. They can relate to that. Hangover. Yeah, it's just a really bad hangover. It's lasting for days. It's horrible. Um, but the weird thing is with my dad is I got away with certain things. He had no sense of smell. He had a sinus operation years ago, and it went wrong. It fucked up a sense. He's got no sense of smell. So I could smoke pot in my house, and he would come in and he'd smoke green. He wouldn't know I'd been smoking it because he wouldn't be able to smell it. Okay. Because that would be the giveaway. Oh, fucking hell, what's yeah. that? He wouldn't, couldn't smell it. He wouldn't know. He couldn't smell a curry. So he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to smell that. So I kind of had that as my sort of safety blanket. He wouldn't know I was doing it, but that would be my way of like, I could get away with certain things. But no, I felt awful because all the people I was working with in surveillance, they were proper people. Ex-police force, ex-SF, huge respect for him, especially the guy who's ex-SS. Massive respect for this guy. Huge friend of the family. You know, and, and it's even harder... When we're on the we're on the intercom on the radio, he's doing a surveillance job, and they're talking about the weekend. And one of them will say, "Oh, all these fucking druggies all around." I'm thinking, "Oh my god, it's me. they're talking about me." I'm thinking, "Shit," and I know how they feel about me. Me dad would say, "Yeah, fucking, I I ate all that fucking lot." And I think, "Oh my god," so it's making it even worse for me to think if if ever it came out. So I can't let this secret ever get out. I can never let this escape. It has to stay with me forever. From anyone, anyone, no one, no one's to know this. No one can know. So that's what that's why I had to bury it so deep, because of their perception of that world. And and they're not they're not wrong, but they're not completely right as well about how they see it. So yeah, it's difficult. So I was just bimbling through the clubs, just doing these like, and, and it never really progressed past two or three hundred pills for quite a while, till my mate um, got out of the army. So my mate from London moved down into the flat below me. So that we had two flats. I mean, the other mate got out of the army. We got him a flat. So we lived next door. So we decided, the mate below me had a job. He was fine. But the other guy was out of work. 
he got sacked from the court for stealing, I think, stealing food for us. He's robbing a club, <laughs> giving it to us at the back door because we were hungry. He spent all the money on drugs. So we had to get food robbed. <laughs> so, um, so he got sacked, obviously. I felt quite obligated to make sure he was all right. I said, look, mate, come in on this with me. So I'm not making a lot of money, but we have a free weekend on it. So we kind of had this like dynamic, the two of us now. We started working in a club together. So, so you, you basically, you used to cover your whole block of, flats it was just yeah out of the six we had three occupied the other three are empty there's someone on the ground floor below myself and my mate and the others were empty <laughs> so we had the whole lot mate we, it was it was fucking wild mate it was wild these three flats were just parties weekdays were okay pretty quiet but certainly thursday friday saturday and sunday it was just a no sure surely your man in the bottom floor must think at the weekend what the fuck's going on he probably did, but to be fair, he wasn't that fussed. I think he was just having a drink anyway, so I don't think he was that bothered. Carry on, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, so I lost it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the ground floor, I mean, he, he was all right. He, he got pissed off once when I, I I left my key at home and I had the choice to come in. I'd already kicked the bottom door off because the main door was on a buzzer system. Now... Everyone on that floor was out with me on the piss set for the guy downstairs. And when I get in at like two in the morning and I've forgotten my key and I'm thinking, do I wake him up with the buzzer or do I just put the fucking door through? So I've done the door a couple of times, kicked it off the thing and they would go through with a good swift kick. That's going to wake him up anyway. I'm pissed off because the door's fucked. Yeah. Or do I just wake him up? So in the end, what I was doing was I was just waking him up, and I only did it once or twice. So he was getting quite fed up. He said, "Look, mate, you got to stop fucking doing this. You know, your part is fair enough." Because I was on the top floor, he was on the ground floor. So we mate in between one party and his. We'd he'd have that flat between us. But what got him was the people coming up down the stairs. Because I'd have a, it wouldn't be an open house. Yeah. So full. It'd be very full. It'd be like up to up to twenty people in there on a night. I want a big flat. I want a big flat. So me and this kid, he had this thing going in the, in the club where he, he would manage the money, or manage the drugs, because he he couldn't manage drugs because he'd eat them. But he was just as bad at managing because he spent the fucking money. So either way, he was he was he was a disaster. But we managed to function for a while as as and because we were both ex squaddies, a lot of dealers, bigger dealers, were quite attracted to having us be a part of their network because he saw the club. They saw that we'd pretty much taken this club was like a normal like a normal nightclub and the amount of stuff we've we didn't flood the place but the amount of drugs we put into this club it became really dancey and more of a sort of like a dance club as opposed to like a, a normal club playing all sorts of cheesy shit so people were seeing this and dealers were seeing it and there's a couple of little firms wanted to get us on board with them wanted to give us some bigger numbers and that's really when the problem started because we were then started by taking on a thousand pills. So that we'll do you a thousand pills. And the price is beginning to drop then. We're in like 97. Yeah, 97 ran out. Mid 97, I think. And it was getting a bit, the pills were getting a bit naff. There was a bit of a drought on board. It was getting a bit random. And we were kind of experimenting with the different dealers we were going to. The guy that I was going to all that time, he was brilliant, but... I've been offered a better price to someone else. He said, look, mate, it's business. If you got a better price, you you do what you got to do. You know, that's fine. There's no malice. If it doesn't work, then come back to me. It's no stress. So that was decent. But the guy I went to, he's a fucking muppet. In the end, it was just hard work because what he was doing is pushing a thousand pills onto us. And they weren't always any good. 
you know, they weren't always what they're supposed to be. And then it was clear to after a couple of days, I got some money, mate, you got some money. Well, I've got these for a week. The, the, the thing with that as well, though, if you're selling someone and it's shit gear, they ain't going to come back to you. It's your reputation that's fucked, ain't it? So. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's dead within within a couple of weeks. That's what we found. So I fucked him off. I jogged him on. We're about to go, mate. So it's picking up. So it kind of fluctuated that for quite a while. It was going like that for a good few years until I got to about 2002. And the market just completely died. The outs and the falling out of it. They were down to pence. You know, I was buying 10,000 a week or 10,000 at a time. And I was paying like 30p, 40p each on them. Yeah. But I was only making like 10p a pill. I thought, what's the point in like making, you know, a couple of hundred quid on, on yeah. fucking 10,000 pills or, or thereabouts and then risking the same amount of time for a class A drug? It just didn't make sense to me. For business-wise, it was making their money. So the debts were, because we were still going out and partying. And, and came into 98, I've met my wife at the time. So the whole the scene for me was beginning to change. So in 2002, I've been, I've been with the missus. Our first son was born. The money was really bad. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go, I'm gonna go now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bin the pills. I'm going to get on and start looking at doing coke. So, Oh, I lost you, mate. I'm back now. Uh, yeah. At the time, mate, did she know what was going on, your, your missus? Or, no, no, uh, this is this. Luckily, this fabrication I created around not telling anyone, including my dad, was with anyone, my whole family, all of my friends, all the people that I was close to. They didn't have a clue. I just kept it quiet. And I think the plausibility of it was that I was still doing security here and there. So if I was ever doing anything dodgy, I would say I'm off on a surveillance job or it's a, you know, it's a meeting to do with security. Everyone could check an address out. There's always a, a plausible reason why I'd have some sort of clandestine meeting. So I could kind of get away with a few things. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ran it. And, and I kept running that all the way through. I didn't I didn't even change that story. I ran that right the way through to, you know, to almost to the very end until I had another business set up. Um, but at the time, my mate that I was getting the pills from, he'd been selling coke for about a year. And he was doing all right. He was doing okay. He was making some good money on it. And, and But he was really good. He, he was very good with his money. He was a, a brilliant businessman. You know, very, very clever. And um, I said, I want to get into doing coke now. And he, he said, well, yeah. You, sorry, go Before you got into coke, had you had long before? Or? Yeah, I'd had a little dabble. I'd, I'd, I've been trying it. Yeah, I've been having a little, little, little bit occasionally, not heavily. A lot of my friends... So when, if you're back to track, the pill scene was really f- flourished till about 97, 98 for us. Yeah. And when the pills went a bit shit, people started sniffing coke instead. So we went from the inner clubs, we were dancing, and then and we stood in the bars and just sort of taking it calm, having a, we had a little tutor bottles, little tiny bullet bottles, we were messing around with those. And they were all doing that. But I wasn't interested in selling grams. I didn't really, because I had a couple of friends doing that, and all I saw was them stressing out. I'd see them, I'd be around there and they'd, they'd go and buy an ounce off of this guy that I was mates with. They'd buy an ounce off of him because he was selling about half a key a week or a quarter a key a week. They'd buy an ounce. I'd be sat there with them and, they, and, they, and they'd be great looking at it and they'd be smashing it all up, weighing it up, making the wraps, putting it in the wrap. I thought, that's like a fucking ball ache, mate. Fucking hell, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work you're doing there. Fair enough, you're making some money. It's fucking worth the risk, though, isn't it, if you get away with it? Yeah, that's it. It's, it's always worth it to get away with it. And and the thing is, 
they were do- he was doing okay, but he was sniffing a lot as well. And I think he was sniffing half his profits. And I thought, if I get into this, I can't be doing the grams because it's high risk. You're meeting a lot. Of- For every ounce you're weighing up, you- he's doing a point there. So that's what I think we're about 35 deals in-, in an ounce. That's 35 meetings he's got to do on that one ounce. That's 35 meetings. That's 35 chances he's got to get in court you know, on one ounce. And I think that's that's a bit too... The risk to reward on that, it didn't calculate for me. It wasn't worth it because it just ain't going to happen for me. So I thought, if I'm going to do it, let's 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 do it slightly differently. So I spoke to the lad. He said, "Yeah, come board me." So let's not fuck around. Let's just let's let's mix it. Let's let's fucking press it up ourselves. Let's do it properly. So he said, "Well, yeah, I never really thought that he was buying it already done." So let's get it pure and just and, and back then in in early 2000 2002, you could access it pure. You know, you had to know the right people, but you could you could get it straight kilo. Straight from Liverpool, this was coming down from, and it was proper. It was like ninety plus percent. It was absolutely spot on. Exactly that's, what it needed to be. That's fucking. Oh no, I know from on since you've not touched a, a bag now. We're seeing a bag since is it twenty eleven? Yeah, well, yes, way before that. Last one I done it actually. I went away in twenty eleven. I'm done. I'm had a sniff of that since two thousand and eight. That's the thing. Like even yeah. now, like in, in carb, the odd occasion, I don't touch it anymore. To be fair, as well, but yeah. a couple of years ago, I used to get bang at it. And you're sniffing absolute shit. It's just pointless yeah. doing it. But like you say, back then it was fucking mega stuff, wasn't it? Oh, I'm real, mate. I'm real. When I saw this stuff, we were with, we're with another guy, another fucking. He, people talk about the money man. I've done it on TikTok about who's the money man. This guy, he was a money man. Not my mate I was getting it from, but this guy, he was very clever, very fucking bright. You wouldn't, um, you know, proper businessman, well dressed all the time. He showed us how to do it. And it was like alchemy. It was like fucking hell. I mean, I'm not going to broadcast <laughs> how it's done, but because I don't want to get your show pulled. <laughs> but it was kind of like... Um, yeah, it could come in like, like fish scales and that. Yeah, and it, but it was. It was pure shine. It's pearlescent. And what he, he explained to us, like, when you see it, he said, watch this, I'll break it open. And it was layered. So you knew it there because it was liquid when it went into the jungle. It was you could see that it was liquid, and you could see that the way that it's come apart. That's never seen daylight. The last time I saw daylight, it was in the jungle. Yeah. The inside of that block has not been exposed because it is pure. It's shining. No matter where you break it, it's exactly the same all the way through. It's like cutting a bit of gold. Where you cut it, it's the same consistency, the same color, same. T- and that's what it looked like, but but very shiny white. And um, you said, right, this is what you mix it with. This is the thing. This is your ratio. This is what you do. And it was cases like hydraulic press, molds, lots of pumping with your arm, and out it comes. And there you go. Wow, that's it. So we 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 were we were turning at the time one into three, which was a respectable thing. It was going to be about thirty five percent, and he was doing his thing. And I thought this is great. But I haven't got any customers. Who the fuck am I going to sell it to? Because <laughs> I never really thought this bit through. Because I thought, well, I've got plenty of pill customers, but I've got no, I've got no one to buy any coke. So I had to think fast. I said, look, what I'll do is, he said, well, do you want some money delivering it for me? So all right, yeah, I'll do that. Starters, that's great. I'll deliver it for you. I'll take you five hundred quid. I'm still selling me pills on the side, <laughs> and then I'll put it out there. I said, right, anyone need coke? Anyone need coke? You know, I'm not a fucking around with this. So that's how I did it. So I got the people that were taking coke, my, my pill customers, to ask people they were getting their coke from, who were they getting their coke from? We've got someone else who's going to supply it. My pill guy can now get it. So what I did in effect is I got my pill customers 
not force them to some of them to become coke dealers. Just yeah. to see if they could sell coke or or at least introduce me to the person they were getting their coke from. Well, as long was, as it was announced. Was there never anything kind of between, but obviously you're going to start up yourself. But the people, yeah. the people already doing it was never kind of mate. Who the fuck here? What are you doing? Yeah, that that's that's the that's the fine line you're going to walk on. That that's where it's difficult because I I tried to to go in and introduce selling ounces, but I found by doing that, I was treading on my mate's toes because yeah. we ran in the same circle. So the thought the thought of me trying to sell ounces, it didn't actually work out. So I had to then spend quite some time waiting for that break to try and sell a a nine or a, a quarter key. And I had to wait for the opportunity to arise. And, and it, it didn't take long. <laughs> Since I knew I had it and it was good, um, people started asking and the opportunities came. But it was really difficult, really difficult because the people buying this stuff were quite hard to manage. Now, there was a guy down south of Bristol. I think I've given away the area once on one podcast. I'll try not to do it again. <laughs> He's been arrested for it anyway. Um, is, is, is he still now, is he? Eh? Is he still inside now, is he? No, he's done his... If, do you know what? He had a result. He he um, he was on our conspiracy. He got he did oh, okay. get it, but he, he, had, he, had a, he had a result, put it that way. He had a result. He didn't, he didn't get away with it. He just got done for something different. But yeah, he was a, he was a good customer. I used to sell pot to him. He'd buy 10 kilos of cannabis at a time. And he was always cash as well. And he said, he's got a market for coke. So it has to be seven out of ten, no less. It has to be seven out of ten. Said to me, mate, when it's coming, it's look, I've got a customer for it, but it has to be this. So can I, can I take on then? And I, I, this is trying to backtrack. Remember, and this first time I actually remember this in a long time. I said, he's getting a key in. He doesn't need the whole key. He'll give me quarter of that of pure. I would then adjust that. So quarter to make quarter of it a seventy percent. I'd end up with something like three ounces left over. So I'd end up with like the decent amount, and this was valued differently. So basically, what I do is I go into to this town south of Bristol, I'll chuck him his, his quarter key. He'd give me the cash for it. I think he's paying about seven and a half grand, thereabouts, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. He paid cash. I go back. My my thing for my quarter, bear in mind, we were paying about thirty grand the key back then. So a quarter would be seven and a half grand. All of a sudden, then I've got three ounces, or two ounces, whatever whatever the change was left from this. 70% I've made up, and that's my pure profit. And that'd be like maybe, whatever it was, it'd work out about 1,500 quid. Whether it was an ounce, two ounces, I can't exactly remember what it was, but the change would be my profit. And I thought, fucking hell, all of a sudden, that's quite good. Because I got it paid for, all I'll do is now sell this. So I thought, well, rather than sell that, that's the same mix as that. Stick it in storage. When we get the one in next week, do the same again. Make it up again, keep building it, and then what I do is every I'd sell him his, his nine every sort of two or three weeks. After two or three weeks, all of his ounces would build up, repress that into another nine, go down, bang, seven and a half grand. There's my wage, and it kind of worked out really well. And that's how I kind of got into the understanding about the business side of it and the working out of it. I've got a last time. Obviously, as you said already, your missus didn't know what was going on. No, you've got a bit. You got a bit of cash about you. Well, well, yeah. I know obviously coming up we'll come into it in a bit but I know you were massively into your motor racing stuff but before yeah. that what did she think you were doing? Well up until that point so in 1999 when she fell pregnant with our first son I got a job working for a textiles company just delivering a van which is how I got to meet all these different people okay. um, but that wasn't bringing in huge amounts of money um, 
When I started doing account, I then went into a valeting business, a partnership with two other people. And my job was promoting it. And all I would do then is I would launder my money through this valeting business. And then whatever came through and came to the other side was, was plausible. It was money earned from commissions or doing jobs. So that was what, that's how I sort of explained the money to her. So really it kind of worked. And, and then at that stage in 2002, money was okay. But 2003, it started to pick up a little bit more. And that's when I first got into the modified car scene, sort of back end of 03. You know, so she, she I do apologise to her in, in, with a delay. I did spend a lot of money on cars and she never knew about it. <laughs> did you think at any point she knew there was something more, more to what you were doing? I think she might have suspected at some points, um, but I think, and I said this on 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 TikTok, said no one really questions it when it's going right. Absolutely. Because why would they? You know, if the money appears to be genuine, and it appears to be coming from a good source, and it's not illegal. And bear in mind, back twenty years ago, cash wasn't as questioned. As it is now, people question large amounts of cash all day long now. Yeah. Back then in 2000, 2003, POC had just come in. So Proceeds of Crime was only just invented in 2002. So due diligence wasn't really enforced into any business to some time after that. So you could spend large amounts of cash or be paid in cash and not really be questioned too much. So to turn up with, to go on holiday and pay cash, it wasn't really seen as out of the ordinary for anyone. So really, I managed to sort of keep keep her off the scent for quite a while, quite a while. Um, and then really, in 2005, I took on my snack van business, which is brilliant for cleaning money up because it just, whether the van did well or not, no no i just sit there and eat the food it's just it's whatever i made could go through could go through you know it didn't matter you know and, and even if i didn't sell the van would be out for rent on a weekend to an event for some of whatever wanted it to be you know it just didn't matter because that that van was was worthwhile spending the money on to buy it so that i could push money through it if i needed to but it was up and down it wasn't the case that there was loads of money coming in all the time. It was far from it. It was it was a bit of a roller coaster for quite some time. You know, certainly from I think '02 when I first got into selling coke, it was a rocky start of trying to get the customers up and running. And when it was, it was always there's if one part of the business was going well, another part was going terribly. So the good part would have to maybe maybe sort of support the bad part. If I was doing well with say with the coke and, and it, it was bringing in some money i might have taken a loss on some cannabis it might have been a shit a shit crop or it might have been somewhere from from holland it's been spun it was no good to go back and I'd lose money on that so i'd have to, to take the profit on this to pay for that so it was kind of using these three different three or four different things i was selling like pills cannabis coke and, and both sorts of cannabis to try and balance each other and it was just headache it was loads of stress <clears throat> excuse me because it just wasn't paying the way it should be so in the end, around about oh four oh five, I really laid back for selling the pills. I thought it's just it's just not making the money. They're creating problems. I just got them in as more of a for a, had a mutual friend. He's in the book, a chap called Alfie. He used to sell a fair few, so I literally got them in for him because we had a few things going on where we we helped each other out when things were going a bit tits up for me. So I kind of kept getting them in for him. And he, in, by think doing that, it kind of functioned quite well, more as a way of, of, of keeping him sweet. 
you know, but the Coke was where the money could have been. So I kind of focused on that really. And, and but it was up and down. It was it was a horrendous journey meeting up with some of the wrong people to deal with, constantly meeting the wrong people to deal with, things constantly going wrong. Um, until we got to, I think it was about oh five oh six, which is when the book came into play. That was in two thousand and six, when things went catastrophically wrong. But I won't give that away because that's actually in the book itself. And that kind of really, the whole disaster around Charlie Four Kilo, is what slung shot me into the the bigger cells by being introduced to people through what the books are going to be released about. Just in terms of the book as well, but for anyone listening, um, the first book is available now on Amazon and other good other good retailers as well. Yes. And I, I think, from what I understand, Rich, there's going to be a couple more in there. Yeah, it's a four-part series. So the the aim was to do a three-part series, um, but I saw my publishing agent and he sent he basically how many words have you got on this book so far? And I can't, I did a count and it was about seventy-five thousand. He, he said, "Well, bear in mind." An average book wants to be about 80,000 words. Any more than that, you can get really long-winded. I said, right, okay. And he said, how much you got left? I'm about halfway. He said, right, can you can you cut it short and do another part? I said, well, I can do, yeah. So basically, it was, it's now going to be a quadrology of four books. So I released it at part two. And people say, I've, people say, I've bought the book. It says part two. Have I missed part one? I said, no, part one's not out yet. I started it at part two. I'll be honest. I've read it, and it finishes on a fucking cliffhanger, man. And it did my head in when it finished. Yeah, people have called me all sorts of names. I'm I was screaming myself, mate. <laughs> I know. I know. It was a real... It, it just, like, it ends just like that. I mean, yeah. it really is sudden. It's like, bang, cut it off. Because I think if I continued it in any, any point, it would have would have lost that impact of being a cliffhanger because now I know where I can start it because we all know where it's going to go. Um, it's going to be called Overseas Operations as part three. So that says it all in the description. You know? So it's, it's about me going over and I, I've been linked to the Colombian cartels in, in, in Madrid. So I won't say anything more than that, but that's where that goes. Uh, have, you, have you started started writing it yet? No, I've, I've, I'm literally just about to buy now, this, this week, the equipment for the Audible version. Oh, okay. And the audible version of Charlie's Four Kilo uh, when that kit arrives. So I'll probably start recording in the next couple of weeks, hammer that out, get that released to Audible. Then I start writing part three. So it's just down to work as well because I'm, I'm actually working, you know, as you know, three, four, five days a week in a normal job. So it's finding the time to do my family bit, see, see friends, and, and, and with COVID lifting as well, I've got to find the time, I've got to focus. Obviously, we'll get back onto what we talk about in a minute. But for me, from the outside, it's a it's a mad thing that we're talking about because obviously, you've gone from being kind of a top dog in Bristol, yeah, to going to prison, which will come on, to coming out working a normal life again, but then mm. keeping up with, with your social media on TikTok and you writing a book and stuff. You you must think like, what the fuck is my life? <laughs> yeah, it's just busy, mate. It's yeah. it's, it's not whirlwind at the minute. It's absolute chaos because I'm trying to. I've got sort of like two separate, I've got me, me day-to-day graft where I'm out doing removals and that's fucking hard work. Really good lads. And I've got to say, anyone wants to move out, we like to move out. I'm going to plug them because they've looked after me from day one. Legendary. These boys have really looked after me sort of, just like the song, we like to move it. And and they've got me going from day one. So they've kept me, kept me, kept me going. But that's hard work. It's really hard work. But in between things I'm doing, I'm answering TikToks, I'm doing messages and I'm, and I'm trying to sort of, 
build this future of where I need to be going. That, that, that's the thing on TikTok as well, though, mate. You, you you post a lot as well. You're always active on that. It's, it's not as if it's kind of a side project. You're always active on that as well. So it, it's not it's not easy work. No, it's very consuming because what I found is um, it does loop a little bit. And, I, I'm, and as most people know who have followed me on there, I have got more than one account because my main account has been banned and had that many violations yeah. for obvious reasons that every ban now costs me a week to two weeks of non-posting. So I go on to my backup account. Uh, and then uh, that was now getting the same bans. I've got to ask you while we're on it, because obviously without TikTok, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know who you are, mate. Where, yeah. What made you go on to TikTok? Because I, I, I go into TikTok in the last, in the last, the first lockdown, I was bored. Yeah. And I was going, oh, go on TikTok. What the fucking hell was that? So I went on it, and the next thing you know, I can't get off there. I, I don't post, but I just watch people's videos. Oh, do you know what? I started off... Um, because I've, I've always had this message, and it wasn't just a book. It was about veterans struggling in the community yeah. and their transitions. So my initial thing was to try and start. So, well, look, um, let's talk about veterans and how we struggle. So I did these things back in the early days of TikTok, and this was last year. About It was called uh, Civvy versus Squaddy, about the difference in how a Squaddy would approach something and how a civilian would approach the same thing. So I did these comparisons. I did about five or six of them. And you know what TikTok's like? You do a post and it sits and it, it gets no traction. So I thought, this is fucking shit. So I fucking deleted the account and switched it all off. I've been there for a while. And I went back to it. I thought, let's have another go. Because everyone's saying it, it, it's really clever. So I used to watch it, but I thought, not fucking post on it. shit. So I re-ran the videos again, stuck them on there. And I did one. I can't which one it was now. It, it, I'll tell you what it was. It was the... It was a squad. It was simple. It was, it was our civilian walks past a set of bins on the street. And my thing was walking out. It's just me, I've been camera, my phone on my car, filming straight forward of, of me walking down the street to these bins. Civilian versus walk up, bit of moody music in the back. Walk up, open the bin, chuck a bit of rubbish in the bin and walk up to the car. And that was the civilian going down the street next to the bin. Then I cut it and did the squaddy version. It comes on the street, same bins. Squaddy then took a wide berth around the bins because they're, they're known as a a vulnerable spot where it could be a, an IED yeah. and he walks off and he comes back into screen and that was it. Did it just go viral straight away? Next day I had something like 5,000 views. I thought, how the fuck does that work? I didn't know there was comments on it and likes and yeah, oh, I know this or something. People still, you're fucking weird. All the usual troll shit. And I thought, how does that work? So I did another one and I, I did one, it was um, eating, lunchtime. And I did the, and basically I did it, is, it was a civilian having his lunch break where I, was, I got this big fat burger and I'm eating it really slow. I'm really enjoying this really nice burger from Three Brothers in Bristol. A massive, great, big, beautiful thing. And the squad, he was stood to attention, right? You got 20 minutes, fuck off and get your scran it. And then did the Benny Hill music and it's all speeded up. Yeah, yeah. It's me stuffing this, I'm sat on the seat here stuffing his chicken breast. I asked it in about three seconds flat. Back on parade and, and, and that was it. That suddenly went up to like, that's on like over 300,000 views now. But it went up to like 90,000 within two days. Well, no, it sat dormant for a while. And then it suddenly got hit. It got seen and it got shared. And, and then it went ballistic. So I just realised suddenly I, I, I sense how the algorithm works. So I had this plan. I thought, well, the book has, at this stage, it, it was the winter last, it was the winter this year, um, I've been writing the book. The book had been released, but it was just slowly ticking over. And the plan was to get onto TikTok and get known first as a veteran 
of my background and get seen what I'm doing and do some videos and get a few followers. And it was really slow. It was really slow. And it still isn't massive compared to some. And then I was talking about prison. They've got a few more followers. As soon as I mentioned drugs, it went fucking Yeah. It went followers and it went through. And it didn't, it didn't go viral, viral, but it went a lot busier than the other two topics. But I can still introduce those. I still talk about that. I still talk about prison. I still talk about the army, but it's mostly drugs. And then it made me realize how interested people were in that world. As I said at the beginning, for two different reasons. One, because they're really curious about that world or because they want to learn about it and to get at it. And not that they condone it, you lot. <laughs> so that's how it is. So I realized that and I thought, now is a good time to introduce the book. So I started green screening it behind me all the time. As most people see, most of my videos, you look down, all you can see is Charlie for Kilo everywhere. And that's when the book started selling. Because I, I keep it on Amazon on the... Um, on the chart on Amazon thing. And prior to me going on TikTok, the book would sit round about 600 with, with probably one or two sales every now and again. Since doing since doing TikTok, it's always been in the top 100, usually the top 30. That's a big, big difference as well, mate. Yeah, purely, and it got to number seven uh, when I really had a big purge on it. You know, so, and, and it, that's, that's sometimes, and if what I find, if I, if I have a few days off, and do nothing, the book slides back up to sort of like 50, 60, 90. It's still pretty good for, for a, some dumb squad that's written a book. But when it goes down to the top 20, I'm happy. When it gets to the teens, I'm happy because I know, I know the book's selling. You don't make much money in books. You make like about a pound on every book. You know, people say, oh, can, I, can you send us a free book? Fuck off, mate. No, because I got to another <laughs> seven to cover your book. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, it, it costs you more fucking postage and exactly. It's like five room in in um because I do sign copies of people. I, I do sign copies now, and I was looking at the cost. I've, I've got to do it recorded delivery, and I do this most amazing packaging. As people have seen the packaging I do, and I wrap it like a like a brick in in brown tape. Yeah, yeah. I post it out. So I charge twenty quid now for a signed copy because I have to look at the logistics of me. And it's not being about making, well, it is about making some money, but it's about the cost of that packaging. Recorded deliveries are five, well, four, four pound 20. The book's eight quid. I've got to drive to the post office and post it. So really, I might be still making a pound by the time I do because I'm going to live in the middle of nowhere. You know, by the time I'm driving to the post office and packed it, I spend like an hour, an hour and a half on each book with the whole thing, the whole process. I'm probably making less than I would if I was doing removals. So, to charge 20 quid, I think, is a fair price. I mean, it, it, that'll probably go up as time goes on, you know. But so at the minute I'm doing it. So, so yeah, it's consuming and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to writing the next one because I'm itching to write it now. What's the Greg Podcast? Follow us on social media for all of the latest news, releases and giveaways. At What's the Greg PC? A point I've picked up, obviously, going back to, back to drugs for a bit. Yeah, you mentioned in the first part you're walking through Northern Ireland, and that's the only time you thought I'm going to be shot here. So you're a bit paranoid. When when you're when you're selling gear, you got to be paranoid every day. So do you think you learned from the paranoia in Northern Ireland for the paranoia I'm going to get next year, and it kind of come into one? Yeah, that that's that's probably the 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 downside of the military training is is um and I describe this well. I do a lot of talks to to troops, or I was before COVID, and I talk about. When you come out of the forces, this, I mentioned this void that you've got. And when you become a civilian and you're trying to fill this void, you've got all these virtual boxes you need to tick about how are you going to fill that void. 
unfortunately, selling drugs or getting involved in crime ticks all those same boxes. It gives you the risk, it gives you the money, it gives you structure, it, it gives you um, an element of, of, of fear that you need. It helps you to meet people. You become you become a part of something, you become part of a culture. So it ticks all the right boxes for the wrong reasons. So certainly that military experience in Northern Ireland or, or I, I did reconnaissance and even the stuff with the with the special forces training to the surveillance and counter surveillance all comes into play when I was doing the, the, the naughty stuff. So the paranoia and, and the, the, the being half cocked, if you like, that kind of like semi-state of readiness all the time is used when you're involved in crime or it is for me. And anyone involved in crime is. And it's the way to describe the, the feeling of it is if someone's been on an operational tour of duty to, to Afghanistan or Iraq, you're at the ready all the time. You're always ready to be attacked, shot, killed, blown up, whatever it's going to be. When, you, when you're involved in organised crime, especially drugs, you like that every day of your life as long as you're at it because you're yeah. always ready. You're always thinking someone's going to go wrong. Even when you're at home you're, or on holiday, you, you're ready for something to go wrong. You're waiting for that phone call. You're waiting for that door to go through. So it's like being an operational tour for me for 15 years. And that takes its toll with your mental health. It just destroys you. But when it did go wrong, and I still, I still can't get my head around this, you got it nicked a couple of times. Yeah. But you also got fucking bailed. How the fuck did you get bailed? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. So basically, um, the first arrest. So I set the motorsport company up. We'd had a sequence of arrests leading up to that. So... Um, I'd gone through this transition of, of going through the series of books, of, of the storylines on that, you know, so I won't cover that too much, but I started the motorsport company in 2008. I saw my exit strategy. I thought motorsport's the one for me. It, it provides all the same structure, ticks all those same boxes that the drugs did to replace the army. I can read, I can get rid of the drugs, tick the boxes again with motorsport. It gives me an income, gives me, gives me the risk, gives me structure else we'd have disciplined myself again. It gives everything because the, the motorsport calendar is like a military calendar. You know what you're doing for the whole year. You can structure your life accordingly. And I need, that's what I needed desperately. So I saw that and I thought, well, this, this is it. This is the way out. So long story short, the, the, the police knew of my activities by then. Something had gone catastrophically wrong for us for a guy that was managing my drugs business. And we firmly believe that he was quite helpful to the police when he was interviewed. Yeah. Um, to the point of where we were then looking at arrests happening. So subsequently, in the 28th or 29th of October, my first runner was taken down in 2010. Uh, I decided to shut things down. I just opened the garage up. I thought, well, this isn't good. This is not ideal. I need could do with the money from the drugs to keep the garage going because it was during a recession. However, we're going to shut them anyway. So we shut for a month. And then the guy that was, we believe, a turned informant, we said, no, I've gone go again, go again, let's let's get some more work. And the guy said, no, nah, mate, it's, it's, we're, we're fucked, the police are on us. So he said, no, nah, come on, I've got a guy who can run for you. I said, no, nah, I'm not interested. And in the, event, in the end, though, we really needed money because the garage was struggling, it was cold, I needed to pay wages. I'd already started to strip down assets at this stage now. You, you, you know when you went up in the stadium when, when you were skinned? Well, yeah. what, what did you, at the time, your, your missus say? Did she, did she say, like, Rich, what, what the fuck's going on, mate? Well, where's the money gone up? Yeah, well, luckily, fortunately for me, when I opened the garage, I applied everything I had into the garage to, to, to redo it, to make it nice and pristine. So I said, look, it's going to cost us this. We're not, we, we, we've been living a, a relatively nice life for a couple of years. And certainly from the middle of 2008, we didn't have to worry about money for the first time almost ever. We didn't have to worry about money. 
and that was nice to do that for me, for me wife and kids you know to think let's give them a nice life they've had a shit time leading up to this because of what's been going on let's treat them a little bit you know, so I was doing my motorsport they're having holidays it, it, it was it was how you would imagine a drug dealer's life to be at the time everyone's happy at that time yeah and it, and it reflected the fact that the business was doing well with the motorsport everything was kind of relative you know the drugs was doing well so the business was doing well so everything was in balance if you like um and then when we came to open the garage up, I said, look, it's going to be tight financially because it's going to cost a lot of money. Because I knew I'd have to, you know, the, the business had slowed down in the drugs. It was just the way that it was. It had gone quiet for a little while. I plowed a little money into the garage. And then literally the, the garage on the first, opened up on the 1st of October. The investigation started on the 23rd of September. So a week before I opened, they, they just started the investigation on me because they knew I was on the way out. So when the first arrest had happened, naturally there were debts involved with, with the drug business, which transferred to me struggling with a legitimate business. So basically any, any financial worries that we had were expected because I'd already kind of paved the way. So that it's going to be tough. It's going to be tight for a little while whilst we get this up and running. I just didn't think it was going to be as tough as it was going to be. I wasn't expecting the police um, activity at the same time. So we did another run at the end of October, sorry, the end of... November because I was broke, needed to get money in, but to pay wages, we had to pay the rent at home. It was hard. So we, we set a run up. This guy went down to see the guy that I've sold my first nine, nine of Coke to down south of Bristol. Went down to see him. The aim was for him to, to, to do a deal there and come back. And we, we were then in my garage. I would then repress this up, turn it into a bit more, make some money, pay some bills, and then just hopefully move on. The guy went down to this town on the way back up onto the motorway. He got pulled. Uniformed police pulled him. Got arrested. But, 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 Frank, was he pulled because they know who he was or was it just a random stop and search? Well, we thought it was a random stop. We were led to believe it was a random stop and search because it was uniformed police, but they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly oh, what he had in the car. It was a planned arrest. Yeah. They, knew, they, 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 were t- they were listening to the phones. They knew what was going on. So when I found this out, I thought... We're definitely in trouble. Two arrests in in two months in two deals. We've not done anything else between that time. So this we're definitely done for. So I knocked it on the head, and then I'm sat in the garage, and it's going into December now. Really bad winter in 2010. It was freezing cold. It was really bad. It was cold. There was no customers. It was a fucking disaster. It, honestly, it was a it was a disaster, and um. New Year's Eve came and I was like, I was at work on my own. I said to the staff, look, just fucking bin it. I'm, I'm going to sit, sit in and get the job done. And um, a lad that I was doing some bits with, I just sold him some bit. It was like mates rates. He said, look, I need, it's New Year's Eve. Can I, or New Year's Eve tomorrow. Can I get an ounce sorted out in our coded language? I said, I don't do it anymore. Mate. I'm done. I said, but I'll chuck him a mate's number. He's still operating. If you want that. He said, yeah, that'd be great. So I'm mates. Can you do this for him? So yeah, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. Is that where is that where the conspiracy comes from? Yeah, yeah, that's the conspiracy. Wow. Right there. Fucking hell, yeah. man, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's, that's all it takes. That's all it takes is is One that phone call. agreement. Yeah. So I give him a mate's number, and that's technically a conspiracy. It is, I mean, the definition of a conspiracy is an arrangement made by two or more people to commit an illegal or harmful act. I've been read it a couple of times by the police. So I pretty much got it sussed. Um, so. I gave them. I gave them each other's numbers. I said, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm all ready to do with it. I just give to set the deal. Yeah. So if we're making money or not, if it wasn't for me, that deal wouldn't happen. So um, I sat in my garage New Year's Eve. My phone rings and it's the guy that wants it. I said, Yeah, what's up, mate? 
So I can't get hold of your pal. I said, well, so have you rang? I said, yeah, he's not answering as well. I just keep trying him. So a few minutes go by and the phone rings. It's my other mate, the one that's got it. He said, is he coming or what? So he's trying to ring you. Oh, okay. So fucking hell, mate. So they both rang me. So I've got a phone with both of these guys. So it's gone quiet. They've done a deal. My mate who sold it, he said, yeah, all good. I didn't like it. There was a guy who was a bit suspicious in the area, but he doesn't think he's anything to worry about. And um, they shot off and that was it. And then went home, had a New Year's Eve with me, me my ex-wife now, um, kids. Couldn't celebrate that much because I was still stressed out because, bear in mind, I was still thinking it's that we're fucked. We're still thinking yeah. the police are on us. Um, then my phone rings at about half past ten and it's the guy that had bought the ounce off this guy. So I just got out of the police station. I said, oh, fucking hell. I said, yeah, I got pulled on. As soon as I left the area, they pulled me. For oh, fuck's sake. So that, to me, then, was it was the nail in the coffin. I knew that definitely we were being investigated because three arrests and three deals... The police must have thought I was fucking stupid to, to even go near it. So that was the last time I had anything to do with Coke was on the New Year's Eve of 2010. That's the last time I had anything to do with it. Last time I seen it. Well, I didn't even see it. Last time I spoke about it. Oh, yeah, literally, yeah. So I left it at that. And then kind of like... You, you, we you, went, you, you, know, when, you know when you come out of it, obviously, into, in, at the end of 2010? Yeah. Did you think kind of that's it now moving on from it or did you ever think it's going to come back come back and bite me on the ass? yeah that's just a good question because although i come out of it i was still waiting for a, a potential arrest because what was happening whilst my firm were being arrested over these three months the firm associated with the other conspiracy from cheltenham and, and the link to london with the serbian network they were suffering similar losses. So whereas I would have lost the guy in, I think of the sequence, but I lost the first guy in November. Sorry, end of October. My co-defendant in November lost three kilos in November. I then lost another guy in November. A lot of money that, mate. Three kilos, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, he was was already 180 grand down straight away. Fucking hell. You know, bang, just like that. And that was to the Serbians as well, so that's not good. Yeah, so he, he he was in trouble. So... We're now, because we both did motorsport together, so our lives are quite linked in many different ways. So we're suffering these losses right away through up until his last arrest, I think it was something like February, where someone else been arrested associated with him. So there were a number of arrests on from both conspiracies running parallel to each other from two, two different investigations. So it was kind of rife. It was all going off around us. You know, people getting nicked, people going down, people being remanded. But we were all still out, run, just thinking, well, when's it our turn? You know, When's it going to happen? And like we get into the spring and I think to myself, maybe, maybe I might be all right. Maybe it's gone. Maybe, maybe that we've got through this, you know? So we're looking, spring's arrived now. We're looking, getting set for motorsport season, but I've got no money. The garage is just getting ready for the motorsport season to happen. So we, we thought we'll launch it. We'll launch this season with a good one. So back in, I think it was about March, right about March, I think, 2011 there was that tsunami yeah in, was it in was it in japan it was japan wasn't it yeah it was yeah, ran, ran, yeah. so because we all because we all work with japanese cars we thought let's do an event let's raise some money for the victims of this tsunami so we got loads of stickers made up on the sides of the cars we got a couple of race teams down there and it's castle coombe's first first day of the of the season so it was a spring action day 
and we were given open access to the pits to do passenger rides all day. So I was out at my Evo to give them passenger rides. Three other guys in their cars doing the same. We had a well of it. We raised we raised about seven hundred quid. I think most of that I go back in the cars for the fuel mine, but we still raised seven hundred quid and gave people a lot of fun and raised a bit of awareness at the same time. So we had the best day. It was a wicked buzz. It was an amazing day. And just for that whole, just for that one day, I forgot about all the problems. And that was, I think, was on the eleventh of April, if I'm right. Well, right was, that, was that 2011? 2011, yeah. Yeah, so we had this amazing day. So, back to the garage on the on the Monday. Went and banked some money on the money. That, that was, I think that was the 13th. And then I sat in the garage on the 14th, ready for another day for here we go again. And, and I'm the first one in. I'm sat in my reception, looking out through my door this way, out to the, the, the sort of like the concrete hard standing where we parked the cars and we're cleaning and washing them or, or we're just going to clear the garage out. So, and I saw... Um, three dark cars just kind of ellipsed past the, the, the door. For fucking hell, that looked a bit ominous. And then I could just see the back of the back car where they'd obviously stopped that side. I could see the back on the floor. I just knew it straight away. I thought, fucking, this is it. It's got to be it. It, it. I I didn't know what to think. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out and just fucking say hello. So gonna... you, you, you walked out to one? Yeah, yeah. So I got it, up at the reception. You didn't ever think, like, I'm going to get off, I'm going to run here on. There's nowhere to go, mate. And I was quite heavy at the time, running nowhere, mate. <laughs> I'd have struggled to run out the door. <laughs> so I kind of thought, if I run, they're going to get me. I'm, my garage was in the middle of nowhere. It was in the middle of the countryside. So the only way out through the gate they come in. There was no way out. So I'm going to go and say hello to them. So I just literally walked out through the door. And as I walked out through the door, they were all getting out of cars. And there's probably, like, must have been 12 of them. or was three. Yeah, certainly three cars with four in each. It's definitely more than ten. I said morning, waved out to them, and they, they walked up to me. And I literally, I am who I am. I'm not going to change for anyone. <laughs> just, just thought I'm going to be polite. Why not? It's pointless being a dick. If they're going to nick me, they're going to nick me the nice way or the horrible way. Let's, so I knew me mate. The first guy was taken down. He was taken down with armed police because he refused yeah. to move. And for I don't fancy that. Um, <laughs> said, morning, and, they, and they came out and they said, "Oh, Rich Jones." I said, "Yep." Yeah. And I just knew what was coming. I just, I just sat there, not smiling. I still stood there, and they said, "We're arresting you on um, conspiracy, conspiracy to supply class A drugs, namely cocaine." I went, "Anything to sell for?" Just what can I, what can it, I it, say? It, it, it shocked probably a lot of. Don't, don't you talking about or just say? Yeah, and, uh, I just kind of like just didn't say anything. I just, I thought at that stage of the game, you're just processing what's going on. But again, I'm thinking right. I said before, like. I'm not thinking about what's happened. I just, this is what's happening right now. Just worry about what's on the other side of that door when I get to the side of that door. And, and everything else for me is on the other side of that door until I get to it. And that's how I get through my life. I don't really plan too much. I, I, I've never been able to plan too far ahead because of my lifestyle, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So um, I kind of, and, but do you know what? Because of my, and this is, I say, I'm discussing other podcasts. But because of my dad's background, I got a huge respect for the police and admiration. Huge respect, you know. But that's such a strange thing to say when kind of they're your enemy in the game that you're in at this moment. Yeah, and and, and some people see him as and, and I I because of my military background, I never saw the police as as the enemy as such. I saw them as the other side of the coin because I've worked with the police, retired police, and they're actually wired up the same way as most criminals. They just apply their 
mentality in a different way yeah to, to catch us we use our mentality to get away they use it to catch us and it's it's the same hard wiring it's just used in different directions and that's all it is so i've always had this respect for the police it doesn't mean they're all good some of them are going to be assholes like like the rest of us we're assholes as well but the good ones are good ones and i remember these were decent fucking coppers you know they came in and, and i know and i explained why when there was a the sergeant i won't give his name away and he, he, he cuffed me, so I've got to put these on you. I said, yeah, that's fine, mate. It's, it's protocol, I understand. He put the cuffs on. He said, he comfy, he had a comfy. And we sat down. He said, right, we're going to do an inventory now of your garage of what's, who belongs to who. Because it's going to be for proceeds of crime. I said, no, but we need to know what cars are yours, what cars aren't yours, because we're going to be getting warrants to search everything. I said, yeah, that's fine. So he said, right, who's who? So I cuffs are right, those in the garage, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Oh, fuck it, this looks really bad, all these race cars. But they all, by then, they'd been stripped down of all the assets because they'd been struggling, so they were bare shells. There's nothing left of them. So, right, okay, whilst I have a look at it, there's a number of cars outside who are these. So we walked outside, and I sort of like, he said, which ones are what? I said, well, that, and he grabbed me, and he said, put your hands down. He said, don't let everyone see you're in cuffs. So we don't want to display the fact you've been arrested. You know, just, just indicate with your head. I thought, that's decent. He didn't need to do that. Yeah. He said, maybe look a right twat. He said, no, just keep your hands down. Don't don't, don't let everyone see that you're cuffed. You know, remain a bit, keep your dignity. I thought, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah, he's taking, he's arresting me. He's my arresting officer, but he's not a bad lad. So we did that. We did the inventory. And off we went to the police station. And then that's the first time in a police cell. Um, and that was like a good five or six hours waiting for the interview to come through. And what a time it is to think then because your anxiety, you don't even bother with that because what's the point? It's already done, isn't it? You know, the worst has happened. Um, me wife, the house had been searched. So then I'm thinking about... Oh, that. So at, at the time, you, your wife knew as well that you've been nicked. Yeah, so I said to the guy, to, to the officer, I said, can I bring my wife to tell her what's that? He said, I think she already knows. I said, well... And it just dawned on me, oh, are you searching there? I said, well, we have to search the house. Yeah, it's part of you. You, know, you might have things in the house. There was nothing there. It never was. Um, so I think, oh, shit, the wife. Oh, fuck the kids. Oh, no. You know, and then, then, then I start thinking, oh, my, is my old man going to find out? What about my old dear? Oh, my God. And I was thinking about what the family going to think. So this deep, deep, dark secret that I've had all that time, it's now exposed. You know, it's out. I don't know if you've ever been asked it, but obviously you're from Bristol. I'm, t- I'm taking yeah. your dad. Your dad was from Bristol. Yeah. W- was he a copper in Bristol? Yeah, he, initially he was, but with his nature of his job, he was then drafted out to London in different areas. So okay, because I was going to say, like, at, at any any point, did the people who nicked you know who your old man was? No, fortunately, because my dad left in the early nineties or mid. I think he left about ninety two, ninety three. Um, anyone serving in the police to put of my arrest wouldn't have been on the ground. And, and anyone who would have been left, I mean, they would do a 22 years. So from 1992 to when I was nicked, they'd have been in the back end of their career. So yeah. fortunately, there was no crossover, which is which was a relief. That would have been mortifying. If someone come and nick me, one of my dad's mates, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> my name comes up on the book. Oh, here we go. You've got your son here, mate. What's going on? Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that was a difficult one. So we sat in the, the police cell just waiting for the interview and, and the interview went went through. Um, so that was the first conspiracy. That was Operation Kestrel. And, that, and then I realised when all the names come up, it was like everyone on that name was like all the people that I thought, fucking, I wasn't just me arrested. It's when it dawns on me that everyone else has been nicked. 
Yes. And listening to these, oh, fucking hell, they've got, oh, my God, they've got him as well. Uh, I think if, if I'm you at that time, for one, I'm thinking, like, I'm fucked. But for two, I'm thinking, who is a grass and who's going to kick their mouth shut? Surely, surely at one point you've got to think, please be true to one and just don't mention a fucking word to anyone. Yeah, that's it. You've got to hope that anyone in, anyone in those cell rooms is, isn't going to be singing like a canary and, and telling them everyone's names... I got off of him, yeah, it was all his stuff. You know, you, you hope that's the case. And to my knowledge, that was the case because the guy that went in for us, he never got arrested. You know, so we know that he's he, he was out free and, and, and the, the signs were there. We should have put, in hindsight, we could have picked up on them, but you just don't think of it at the time. You know, so we, so yeah, so we, we finished the interview and the, I was re- expecting to get remanded and, and the, the interview officer, the, the chap that, in the, in the first interview did you know comment or did you answer questions oh what a fucking dick I actually fucking thought I could <laughs> I thought I could fucking uh, um, start it out <laughs> so I said to me brief, I said, he said do you want to go no, I'm going to I said no I'm going to be fine mate I can do this I wanted a challenge I just I wanted what honestly I wasn't going to give any anyone I wasn't going to drop anyone the shit set for myself um, but I honestly, foolishly thought out of some ridiculous level of arrogance that I was going to be able to do this because I didn't want to do no comment because I didn't want to come across like a criminal. How stupid is that? I, I, I get it to a degree, but mm. then I, I get what you said, it's stupid as so well, yeah. Yeah, totally stupid. I mean, in hindsight now, what what a dick, you know, which, which is, I'll explain why my other interview is much better. Um, so the, I was expecting to get around and then the, the officer went out he came back in and he said, oh, stranger things have happened. And so, so what's that? He said, well, you're being bailed. I went, no way. And my brief looked at that. He, just, he, he was in disbelief. He said, how the fuck are you going to get bailed? You, you're, you're on a conspiracy charge for coke and you're being bailed. Now, the reason being bailed was because Gloucestershire soccer, the guys investigating the other conspiracy, were still investigating their, okay. their thing. So they needed to get more. They needed more on me. So I was bailed, and the 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 difficult part of that is I've now been taken home to a, a wife who's just had the house searched. I tell you what, I bet you're more more nervous when you got Nick, weren't you? When you fucking get home to your missus. Never wished I'd been remanded before. But it would have been easier. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we got we got back home. Or I got home. They give me they give me a lift back as well. It was like one o'clock in the morning. They give me a lift back. Got in and it was hugs and tears and everything else. But to be fair, it was okay. It was okay. You know, I said, oh, some horrible mistake. So I've been stitched up. Did, you, did, did she believe you? Surely at the point she's got to think something's going on here. I think it's a bit of ignorance being bliss. I think it was kind of like just rather than trying to um, argue the toss and say, look, what the fuck's going on? I think it's a case of, well, look, we've got two kids in the house. We've got a five-year-old. Was he five at the time? Yeah, he was five when we got we got an 11-year-old. Let's Let's not... We weren't argumentative anyway. Let's not put these people in a difficult position where it's going to be, you know, uncomfortable. Let's just yeah. pretend nothing's happening and it might be all right. It was like that. Let's just pretend it's okay. We'll just be very British about this and hope it's all right. You know, that's, that's what happened. Yeah, that, maybe it'll just go away. And that was my hope was, was I'm going to go not guilty. Let's hope, let's hope I can, can wing it. So I went back to work the next day and just pretended nothing happened. You know, just cracked on into the garage. Back yeah, back to the next day, opened up the garage, carried what on. like when you went back in? Well, by then, I'd had to let a couple of staff go because the garage was struggling that much. I let two two staff members go. So the other one, which was still there, um, 
we believe he was interviewed by the police and he was probably quite, not intentionally helpful, but I think he'd probably been, he wasn't as economical with the truth as he could have been, I'll put it that way. Yeah, to be fair to him though, did he know what the crack was or not? I don't think fully, so I can't really blame him. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't blame a, a clamorous a civilian for doing their job. Yeah. You know, if he'd have made shit up, then that'd be a different story. But I don't think he did. I think he's just honest. You know, I think he's, he's just being honest. You know, he might. I don't to choose. I don't know what we what he was asked. It could have been anything or nothing. I just don't know. Um, so I just carried on. You know, but what I did do is I went and saw my uh, friend from the other conspiracy who was still out on, on that day. I drove up there. I said, look. Mate, I've just got I was arrested yesterday. Conspiracy. The sequence of events is identical to yours. You are going to be arrested soon, mate. You're going to get nicked. Just be careful. Left it at that. As so I'm shutting down, nothing's happening. We know that anyway. He was still trying to manage with the Serbians. He's trying to, to recover money. So I just left it at that. And then June comes. I'm sorry, May came. I got charged. Fine. Still, I still bailed. No condition, just bell. That was it. No, nothing, no tag, nothing. And then um, uh, June came and, and his firm got arrested. The other conspiracy, Operation Berlin, with everyone. And they all got remanded. And thought, fucking hell, that was heavy. So they all they all got banged up. And then um, July came and I sat there. And, you know, right, this, this is fine. My case is just waiting for court to come up. And then the back end of July, it was July the 29th or something like that, um, a load of I'm focused to pull up outside my garage again. I thought, what the fuck's going on here? <clears throat> Surely they're not back to give me something new. And then in walk a whole, I didn't go out this time, in, in walk a whole load of new faces. I thought, sat at my desk, who are you lot? So we're uh, soccer, Gloucestershire Constabulary. So we're arresting you for a conspiracy to supply cocaine. I said, nah. No, oh, we've been done two weeks ago, mate. What are you talking about? Bad, you made a mistake, mate. This one's already happened. So speak to Waven in Somerset. I said, nah. No, Raven, you're getting done again. So no, this can't happen. It doesn't work. Now I said, trust me, it works. It happens this way. You're coming with us. So I was arrested again for the same charge. So with... just before we carry on with that one, you, at any point in between when you're on bail, ever think about fucking off? No, because because I had a missing kids. <clears throat> so yeah. they were at school. It was it wasn't as, if I'd been on my own, just me, and I'd, I'd had the money to do it. Potentially, I would have had it on my toes. I'm not saying I would though, because I was willing to face up to the fact that I've done it. So let's let's deal with it. If I got to go down, let's go down. If you run, you're running for a long time. You're running forever. And if yeah, you've got kids, yeah. so you ruin their lives as well. So it was never an option for me. It was never an option. I had to sit out and just ride out and see what happened. Um, so I went down to the Gloucester distance, went out the motorway, sat down with them. Um, interview came in, and my brief said, "What do you want to do this time?" I said. I said, no comment. He said, it's a better than that. Don't say nothing at all. So what do you mean silence? He said, just be silent. I said, all right, okay, no worries. So I had a three-hour silent interview with, with Gloucester. I didn't say a fucking word. I just sat there and just utter silence. Just like that. Didn't even didn't even move. <laughs> and uh, he was he was destroyed, the officer, because he was this this guy was actually quite quite arrogant. So he when he first read his first question, and I said nothing, he just looked at his counterpart and I looked at my brief brief something like that well, well, was that because in the first interview you spoke to obviously the other, the other, the other police force obviously Avon and Somerset said did they think you were going to talk to them yeah exactly that yeah yeah. so what happened is they, they at the end of the interview they said to me he said why didn't you say nothing I said well yeah, don't have to so but you 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 commented on the last interview so I said yeah but I 
I knew the names on that interview. I, I said I knew where I knew them from. So on this one, you got names of Serbians and people I don't know. I said I've not seen nothing about these people. I don't know them. So best thing is to say nothing at all. So I just kept kept my mouth shut. So they fought the fact the office came back in. So you're being bailed. <laughs> so I'm fine. So I got bailed again. Fucking hell. So, uh, so I went home again. Um, I said, well, Burlington next week. So can I get my phone back? So I just got another phone from Vodafone after my last one had been taken by the police. He said, yeah, come back next week and we'll give you your phone back. So I right, perfect. So I got that week passes. 5th or 4th of August, got back to a, um, Gloucester police station, went in there and he said, um, he said, where'd you park? Because I was just down in the shorts down there. So well, I'd be like, I said, you, you, you might be while we're remanding you. <laughs> So you what? bastard. Wow, fucking hell. So you tell me, I never managed you that with none. Yeah, so you, you could have told me, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Mrs. Kids. Did, you, did said, you expect it? No, no, I didn't have a clue. Didn't even know. So we're reminding us, you bastards. So they reminded me, so I spent the day in um, Gloucester Magistrates Court, uh, banked into Gloucester Prison, and that was my first day in jail, was on the, I think it was on a Friday, I think it was August the 4th, 2011, first day in jail. And, uh, here's, a, here's a question. What's worse? First day in the army, basically training on first day in jail. First day in the army, easy. Worse than jail? Yeah, easily. Fucking hell, mate. <laughs> in jail, you just, you just locked up behind your door. <laughs> in, in the army, you run around like a nutter being screamed at, I think. Uh... I think, I think you've, 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 you've said this before yourself on TikTok, I've seen you say it but in other places as well. But I know, apart from your body and that, you don't, you're not, you're not, you don't look like a criminal, you don't act like a criminal. So people must have no. thought you, you're in the cover. 100%. So I had this problem with uh, Gloucester wasn't too bad because when I got in there on the first morning I woke up at a shower, I bumped into my co-defendants the guys from the Berlin conspiracy they've been there They've been there a month two months now so they kind of had it pretty much they, they used the phrase we've got it well sewn up in here mate <laughs> so, so um, because they're local boys you know they knew everyone in there so I was fine they could vouch for me straight away the guy that was, you know, the, 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 they were my co-defendants, so I didn't have that issue. Although someone said to me, he, he did say, he said, fucking hell, I said, it's a good job I know your co-defendants because if you don't have your co-defendants here, I would have said, I would have sworn you were undercover. I said, but I know your co-defendants and they, they know you're not. So I thought, well, that's a relief. But that didn't work out so well. When I got to, um, so we got through the next month and we were applying for bail because we want, we, we thought we may as well just give it a go. I mean, we briefly said, look, we're going to go for judging chambers. We'll see if we can get you bail. And they were successful on the 8th of September. They you got bail, bail again. Yeah. So they got me bailed from there. So they, they got me some conditions where I come out on a tag curfew, curfew from seven till seven, um, sign in the police station three times a week, put up 25 grand to shore. So you don't have to pay the money, but Money has to be shown that it's available. Should should I do a bunk? So my dad and my mum and some friends of the family put showed that they could do that. I surrendered my passport and I was bailed on the 9th of September. So that was amazing. So I walked out of prison after five weeks of being on remand, and that was just beautiful. My dad picked me up. Um, yeah, that's got to be a bit awkward. Obviously, ex copper, he picked you up from prison. He must be like, Phil, uh, Rich, what the fuck have you been doing? Which a weird thing is. He didn't ask any questions. We we just because he come to visit me a couple of times in there, or at least once, and we kind of just said to each other, "Look, how's it come about, Rich?" And I'm of course I'm I'm going not going, trying to create this this 
charade that nothing's happened. I'm not doing. I'm not guilty of anything. <laughs> what I'm trying to do now is because um, the guy informed on us. We we're, we're suspicious about. It. We don't know for sure. We're suspicious about him. We're trying to say that it's something to do with. So look, this guy here, we think it's something going on with him, and it's something to do with money laundering, and we think he might be bang at it, and we've been caught up in a net with him. Or we're just we're just desperate trying to because I'm saying the same thing. But Cody's we're all we're all going to run a try. So he's all trying to figure out some bullshit while we're in prison. While we the fact is we're doing better off accepting our guilt and just pleading guilty, but we thought no, we're going to run a trial because we were stupid. Um, so we just ran on that for a while, and that was worse because then he's thinking more. You poor fucker! You're in all this trouble. You're in. You know, you didn't do nothing wrong. So that was worse because he's thinking that I'm, I'm hard done by. Yeah. I'm not. You know. So I'm on bail. So we 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 go through the, the the trial starts on the beginning of April 2012. We run a seven week trial. Um. So what they got is they got this problem because I've got two counts of conspiracy. I'm the only one's been arrested twice. Everyone else is either count one, which is the Gloucestershire one, or count two, which is the Bristol one. I'm. You know, and on both, I'm, I've got two charges. So they're saying that we're going to run Mr. Jones on one trial with two counts of conspiracy against you. Because what they needed to do, because the the evidence, I always say it's flimsy, it, they needed the, the evidence on both charges to support each other to get a conviction. I, I've got to ask, just, just obviously in terms of Gloucester and Cheltenham stuff, I'm a massive horse racing fan. I'll go Cheltenham races every year. Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever, ever drop off to Cheltenham races, did you? And, no, but do you, but do you know what? My co-defendant, his, this is part of their um, their whole thing. He was married into the family, the family that owns Cheltenham Racecourse. Was it? Yeah. Fucking yeah. hell, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, they're not sure. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. He, he divorced prior to the arrest. Um, but he is, he was married into the Vesti family who owned Cheltenham. Yeah, I know, I know the name. That's madness, mate. Yeah. So that's that's my co-defendant, and and that's that's why then it well so it's sewn up in in Gloucester Jail because of their connections within there. But yeah, so that was that's and but I've never been. I've been to the Gold Cup weekend though in Cheltenham. It's a fucking good weekend. <laughs> it is something out of that is isn't it the Friday night. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. I mean, it is a good. I mean, lots of Irish there, lots of Irish. Yeah, there. <laughs> but it's a hell of a weekend, mate. Yeah, loved it, and I, I'm probably looking forward to doing it again maybe next year sometime. Um, yeah, so we we ran this ran this trial, a seven-week trial, and we kind of put up a good fight, as good as we could. Um, we got to the end of it, and the jury finished their deliberating over three days or three and a half days, and I think the next thing was standing in that box waiting for that verdict to be delivered, and that's when time freezes. You know, the the, the, the foreman of the jury stands up when they say, have you, have you come to a, a, a decision? He says, yes, we have. He, Fucking hell. I'm either going down or I'm not. And at the time, there were five of us in a dot. Some guys are pleaded guilty because they were caught in possession, pointless running the trial. The rest of the guys were on a second trial to be held later on in the year because of that many of us. But a trial that I was meant to be on, but they decided to run both counts on this one trial with me. So a bit confusing, but that's how it was. So he, he delivered the verdicts for count one first. He said, how do you find this man guilty? Guilty to me, not guilty. Count one, fucking result. That's great. Two guys on my left got not guilty, so they they walked. As you find Mr. Jones, count two, guilty, not guilty, guilty, and that was it. Then, so so first time Rich Jones not guilty. So yeah. at the point you got to be thinking, oh, oh fuck it, I've got over here. I'm thinking I'm halfway there. I'm halfway there, you know. And it's gonna be, it'll be a fucking miracle. 
but it'll be it'll be quite something. So um, so yes, yeah, so you wrote out when he said guilty, I was kind of after, I knew it was gonna be, but hearing it is something totally different. Well, well when you were guilty, did, did yeah. they did they give you a like a kind of let off for being a soldier? Give you time off the day? No, I did they fuck. So basically, we got remanded that day. So we got sent to Bristol prison this time, different kettle of fish. Where, long story short, the wing I was on thought I was fucking undercover, so they weren't talking to me. What, the, so the whole wing? The whole fucking wing. One, one guy decided that he thought I was guilty. He thought I was undercover. So he told his mates, they told their mates, they told all their mates. All my co-defenders were on a different wing, so they got me over onto another wing. Not because of the, the problems that were going to ensue, but because... They said, we'll get over here, Rich. We're all over on this wing. So I got onto the, another wing, and that was fine. I was sorted. So um, we did five weeks on remand there. Back in for sentencing five weeks later on. So we went for sentencing on uh, June the 29th, 2012. So that was just us from our from our conspiracy. So the guys that were um, already on remand from possession with the drugs, and then us that have been on, on trial. So I think there were about, I think about seven of us in the dock at that time. Um and I was the only one there for count two. So the rest were the count one guys. So some of the guys on the arrest have already been have already been doing their time. One of the guys already got out. You know, the guys arrested New Year's Eve, he'd done his time. He got 20 months. He, he'd done and dusted by then. He's finished all over. And we're just starting ours. Um, so he's reading that sentence in for count one. He's, he's going right to, to these guys, you, at the top of the indictment, or to the guys that started at the lowest. Or you're going to have seven, you can have... You can have eight, you can have nine, you can have ten. It's getting iron off. It's getting quite iron. For you guys there, um, you're having 18 years. This is the guy at the top of the indictment. Oh, and you yeah. from Serbia, you're having 18 years as well because these are the guys at the top. I said, right now, for Mr. Jones, I said, count two. And he reels off a lot of information about you know, mitigation and, and aggravating factors and everything else. He says, you, although we do um, appreciate your service to your country, he said, um, he said, that would be mitigation. He said, but the problem is for you, so your greatest mitigation would have been uh, to have pleaded guilty in the face of overwhelming odds. And for that, I'm going to give you 15 years. He said, I would have, he said, I would have given you 14 years, but I'm going to give you 15 years, um, basically for running a trial, for, for doing what I, th- I thought was allowed to run a trial. But <laughs> apparently, I, I've got it, to plead guilty. So from, from day one, if you'd have pleaded guilty, what do you think you'd have got? I'd have got nine years and seven months. So you did what four and a half basically? Four and a half, yeah. I've done so four. And a half. I know this because one of my co-defendants who was with me at the time, he got given, um, he pleaded guilty on the earliest opportunity. He said guilty pretty much on plea case management straight away. And said, right, okay, you, you this is what you do. So, so your sentence would have been fourteen years less your um, one third for early discount it gives you nine years, seven months, whatever. That's what I would have got had I pled guilty. So I would have got it in November 2016 had I, had I pleaded guilty, but instead I got it in uh, July 2019. Oh, obviously, I've I've heard your story myself, and th- people listening to this word, and mm. as bad as bad as prison is, I think you've sent in something good because you helped out people. You, I think you, obviously from what you're doing, you've seen what what was going wrong in there. Yeah. Um, ex ex veterans who fought who fought for Great Britain, you yeah. can't help them out on your own. That, that's a big achievement, mate. Yeah, thank you, mate. That that's I think having that extra bit of sentence. Funny, because the first part of your time, I went to private jails, and the first part of your sentence, you don't really think about much because you think, I've got seven years to do, though. It's just, let's just get fit, let's get healthy, let's get a well paid job in the jail, earn some money, and just 
live as well as I can in well, prison. Before you carry on, I've got to ask you a question, mate. And it's, being a soldier and, and what you're doing, it, it, it's, a, it's an odd question. Were you scared? No, never scared. Um, sometimes apprehensive about... I, I, sometimes slightly overwhelmed. I think the only time you think about... There's times when I, when I was concerned because I've been chatting to some people on some of these wings and they're not right in the head. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but sometimes it's, mean, they're yeah. not, if they're not medicated properly, um, they're very dangerous individuals. And I was chatting to one guy and, he, and he's more than capable. He's in for... Well, even for murder, but certainly for some pretty horrific stuff. And he's on, he's on antipsychotics. And I was sat next to him on the sofa just chatting it. And he just gasped for he just randomly chat. And um he was saying about how he's his psychosis works. I said, Help me out, help me to understand it, mate. He said, Let me understand you a bit more. I want to understand what what happens. He said, Well, we said with me, if I'm not medicated. He said, if I see something, I'll see someone in front of me. And, I, and I, he said, I see them as a cartoon. He said, what I do, if I have a, an episode, I will see a cartoon version of myself doing something to them as a cartoon version of them. And it might be stabbing and beating and whatever. So then I have to act it out in reality. So he'll see a cartoon event happening of himself and this, this potential victim. And once it's played out, he then he goes and does it for real. And I sat, I said, are you medicated? He said, yeah. I said, okay, no worries, mate. And I sort of like thought, I'm not comfortable sat with this guy because although I know he's medicated, he's fucking dangerous, really dangerous and got the potential yeah. to be really violent. And, and in Cat B jails where it's longer, long-term prisoners, it doesn't go off as often as a Cat C jail, which is short-term. But when it goes off, it goes off properly. It's a proper damage, some real damage going on. So people are getting really properly fucking hurt in there. You know, so you've got to be wary of people. But I think the minute you, you're scared, people will just see if you're scared. Yeah, but I think squaddies carry yourselves in a different way anyway. Not threatening, but confident. You know, you, you carry yourself in a way that people have, well, might, you, your, your level of alertness is in, and your, 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 of your surroundings and everything else is, is, is always like you're on, like say you're always half caught. You know, so you kind of like it'd be hard for somebody to get the jump on you if they wanted to because well he's always fucking ready. Would to get the jump on him? He's half asleep. Or he's fucking stoned. Would we'll jump that fucking idiot instead? You know, not not the guy that's fucking got eyes in the back of his head. So by that way, it kind of helps us a little bit. But it's hard work always being alert. It's hard work. It takes its toll on you after a while. Um, before we just come on to coming out of prison, I want to touch on the fact, and I want to get over to you, mate, to talk about as much as you want. You started helping veterans in prison. Yeah, so when I when when I when I got to Oakwood, Oakwood was life changing for me. It was an amazing prison ran by a chap called uh, the director called John McLaughlin. He's a brilliant man. He's now been given the opportunity to head up the brand new prison in um, Wellingborough, over in, in fact, not far from you. It's up by Nottingham, I think. It's not not far from me at all, mate. To be fair, yeah. But is it is it called Five Ways? I think they call it Five Ways, aren't yeah. they? He's going to be the director of the new. Me, yeah. Opens up in ne- next year, I think it was, doesn't it? Well, he's, he's going to be the director. Of that. Good things happen. There will be good things happening in that jail. And what they do is their ethos in there is is um, a lot of long termers there for a long time. So they think it's easier that the lads can take ownership with their own projects and be given the opportunity to, to to try and empower you a little bit to try and run these projects. And it's called peer led initiatives, PLIs. So I identified that I was a veterans rep from pretty much the first few months of being in there. And over the sort of years I've been in there, I identified that 
certainly over the first couple of years, a lot of veterans coming in were suffering the same problems I did, getting out, sense of belonging, substance misuse, violence, uh, the, the sort of things the squaddies suffer with. I noticed we all suffered the same problem. It was, a, it was a really shitty transition out of the army. So I spoke to the people that deal with intervention. The interventions manage your programs. They, they deal with your offending behavior. So they'll, if you come in the journey for violence, they're right, you're going to do a course on violence or anger management. Do that course, tick a box, and you're fixed. You can move on with your life, you know, that kind of thing. So I spoke to the guys there. I said, look, is there any courses for veterans, anything specifically written to address our mentality? So they got back to us a couple of days. They said, no, there's nothing out there. I said, right, can I, can I write a course? So what do you mean? Well, can I prepare a course? Can I write my own course and, and look at maybe introduce something? So, yeah, Karen, so my job at the time involved me having access to a laptop. So I just fucking wrote a course. I just basically hammered out this 12 module course called Project CLS. And when I completed it, I gave it to Interventions Team. I said, look, can you look over it for me, please? Just see what you think. They looked over it. They got back to after a couple of days. said, fucking hell. I said, this is incredible. I said, you've done really well. I said, you've formatted it correctly. You've got everything in place. I said, it's ready to be delivered. Do you want to deliver it? I said, well, yeah, I fucking love to. I didn't swear. I said, yeah, I'd love to. So, um, I know I might have swore, actually. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so basically, long story short, as I started delivering projects in, in Oakwood, November 2016, and I continued delivery up to the point where I left in, in 2019. Um and to the point when I sat down with the director in his office prior to leaving, they said, look, come back in in a few months' time, sit down with me and we'll talk about funding. We get back in the prison to continue delivery as, as a job. Self-employed and under my own flag, so, but funded by the prison to go and deliver and support veterans. So that was all set to go. Um, set to start around about April 20, 2020, but something weird happened around April 2020, didn't it? Last yeah. year. Yeah, we all got locked down back in jail again. So so that it was it was put on hold um, for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, as we record this now, the pub's open today, May the seventeenth. So can, can you go? Can you go back? Go back in? Can you from any time now? Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm waiting. I've, I've emailed them now, so they're waiting to set the protocols in the prisons because it's still on lockdown at the minute. So the prisons are on full lockdown. The prisoners basically have been have been in there behind the doors for over a year, so they're well, not on a good. That, that, they must be going crazy. Well, especially the guys that were supposed to be coming home and going on day releases. They've that's all been stopped. So all wow. these guys, all these guys doing 10, 15, 20 years, they get to the last point in the sentence, like the last 24 months when they're supposed to be going home, seeing their families, they've not had any of that. None of it. I'd be going absolutely wild. They're going nuts, mate. They're, they're going absolutely bonkers. Before we finish, mate, I've got to ask you, when, when you come out of prison, the the, um, the first day you come out, is it yeah. weird? Is it the best thing in the world? Is it kind of, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do now? How was it? All of the, all of the above, yeah, yeah, everything. I mean, I've been getting periodically released for two years on a daily, on a like a day release, every fortnight home with the missing and kids, once a month home for three or four days, you know, and it builds up over over that duration. But nothing can explain when you finally walk out of prison. In fact, what I did, I recorded it. I, I had a phone in my locker in in this called the vehicle lock. We got our own lockers in there. I had a phone and I switched it on. And I recorded me walking out of that prison as I walked out. It's on my Instagram account. It's one of the first videos. It's actually got me walking out giving a commentary and I can't even get me fucking words out. 
I'm that overwhelmed. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I should be feeling. You see me walking out, out of the jail. So if anyone's watches, go onto my Instagram, have a look on there because I've actually got the moment I was released walking out of the prison. But it was weird. Not so much the initial first couple of days. So I've been used to going home for three or four days. What was weird was when I get my temporary license and go home for, say, I think maximum is five days, I'm used to going back to jail after five days. It was day six when I was still at home. Yeah, that's what made the difference because I normally I'd be going back yeah. home, back in the jail yeah, again. Yeah. So but, that's what you're kind of saying, you're thinking, I'm free now, I ain't got to go back. Yeah, and that anxiety of going back, not the anxiety of going back in the jail, that wasn't a problem. It was anxiety of being late because if you're late, you're fucked. So what really was the problem was day six and I didn't have to go back to prison. It's like, I'm actually free. So look, look at the clock, I've fucking got to get back home in a minute. What's going on? It was weird and I kept thinking about it. But then I started to, to start enjoying life a little bit. And one of the hardest things I got used to was, because I'd lived in a cash society before going away, everything was cash. I'd never used my card. Contactless came out while I was away. Yeah. I was going into the garage, right? Putting fuel in the car. Going to the cash point, drawing the money at the cash point, going into the garage and paying the cash to the woman on the thing. I was doing that for weeks on end. And I thought, why don't I use my card? Just miss out the middle, man. Just pay the plastic. It was a hard habit to do. But now I've got on my phone and I, and I love going into the coffee shops because of the smells and seeing the cake. So I don't buy the cakes. I just buy a coffee. But it symbolizes freedom for me, as does a lot of fast food junk because I can do it. You know, not that I live on it now, but occasionally it's nice to go into a Costa and just smell the coffee and hear the sounds. It's been, it's, it hasn't been good the last year because it's been quiet, but I love going in and seeing people enjoy themselves. Normal people, normal people going about their daily business. And I'm, for, for the first time in a very long time, I actually feel like I'm part of that community now. I actually feel like I'm, 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 in, I'm in there. I'm one of them now. Before I never was. Before I was always like that, that satellite, just either a squaddy or someone that can't engage because I don't know where I'm going to be. Now, now I don't think too much about, you know, the other side of that door. I, I can plan further ahead than that. It, it's very different. Two questions I got last night before we finish. Well, when we finish, I, I, want, I want you to plug your book and, and your social media, but, but two questions before we finish. First of all, I'm, I'm a big football fan. I'm a Cov fan. I've been to Bristol Rovers and Bristol City. Are you red or blue? <laughs> neither, mate. Neither. Do you know what? My old man was into rugby. And if anything, I, I was brought up to... The football is full of pussies. <laughs> I, <didn't watch> it. <laughs> I know that's not true. So, um, so now, do you know what? I never supported either. But do you know what? While I've been away, City have done really well. Right, they've done really well. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on the Rover side of town. But if I had to go, I'd have to go red. I'd have to go red. And last of all, this is probably. I don't think anyone's anyone's probably ever asked you this, but I'm going to ask you it because I'm different. If if everything everything went wrong for you now. Ever be tempted? Ever, ever be tempted to go back down the route you wouldn't come from? Um, no. I, I, I know you can say no, but in terms no. of like, would, would you think you about it? If I say hypothetically, yeah. hypothetically. So if um, if everything went wrong for me, and, and it usually comes down to finance, doesn't it? To, to money. Um, if I was in that, if I was ever pushed that far. Not that I ever would be, but hypothetically, if I ever, if I ever was, be so careful how I answer this. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to foot you up here, mate. As for no, no, don't worry. I, I think before I get involved in anything like that, I would first of all go and collect on my debts. That is a serious, seriously good answer, mate. 
I would go and take the money that's owed first. And I and I'm, I I money that I've written off a long time ago mentally and yeah. physically. However, if it got that bad, I would certainly be be having a few people's doors would be knocked on and I'd be expecting my money or their fucking house. Rich, the stage is yours, mate. Give me your TikTok, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, anything you want to plug, mate. The stage is yours. Yeah, right. Thank you. Right. So, so basically, what, what I've got, I'm on all social media. Facebook, I tend to leave alone for like not so much family, but but my, my military side of things. So, but I've got Instagram, all following under the Lost Soldier. Instagram is the Lost Soldier official. TikTok is the Lost Soldier. The Lost Soldier backup, the Lost Soldier one, because they keep getting banned. Um, I'm also down on on Twitter, which I don't use very often, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on all the social media. Just type in the Lost Soldier. You track me down pretty quickly. What, what, what is your Twitter, mate? Because we're big on Twitter, so I'm, I'm going to give you a little tweet and stuff. So I, th- I think I've got down is so I'm actually on as the Lost Soldier. I Lost think. Soldier. Yeah. Uh, also yeah. as well, like I, I use TikTok as I said, so kind of watch your videos. But I'm, I'm going to give you a little video on, on TikTok, mate, just to see what we've done in that. Yeah, um, cool. I, I'll do that in a bit. I'm going to release it, I think, on Thursday, mate, but I'm going to release it in two parts as well. So, cool. cool. Um, I, I'm I on YouTube as well, mate. So, YouTube and The Lost Soldier, but the link for that is in my it's in my bio on, t- on TikTok. So, I've got a couple of episodes on there. I've, I've, I'm, I'm basically doing TikTok, you get you get 60 seconds. So, I've done some yeah, long I've done, I've, I've done one called Robbed, which talks about the first time I ever got robbed. I've done one called the Sweatbox. I'm doing one next called Surveillance. I'm going to go through a surveillance technique with everyone. So I'm doing YouTube, building it up on that. It's not, it's not there yet, but I'm slow and steady. Anyone listening, subscribe to the YouTube and Rich. Genuinely, mate, I know you work all day in that, and I really thank yeah. you for your time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Take care and look after yourself, mate. My pleasure. You are listening to What's the Crack. 